I've been thinking about this for about two weeks now, which is unusual for me, but I have. I mentioned this guy I read, his name is Carlton, he's a Brit, and he got a blog that I read from time to time. He had a sentence in that blog that just sort of stopped me and started me thinking for the last couple of weeks. And what he said is, socialism always leads to misery and death because that's what it was designed to do. That got me thinking, what does he mean? So I'm going to talk to you about socialism. And this is not a speech on politics, by the way. I'm not going to talk Democrats, Republicans, or anybody like that. I'm going to talk about socialism. And the history of it is it sort of got going with the French Revolution in the 19th century. And one of the things that the French Revolution prided itself on is the triumph of reason. That was their big thing. The French are very big on being rational and reasoned. The cry of that revolution was liberty, equality, fraternity, which means freedom, equality, and brotherhood. And the idea was they were going to establish a society that was completely just, everybody was brothers and, and so forth. It's interesting that one of the things that drove the French Revolution, in addition to being against the aristocracy, was being against the church. The church was regarded as being thoroughly intertwined with the aristocracy, which it was. So when they took the aristocracy out, they took the church out too. In the mid to late 19th century, Socialism became really intellectually popular among Jews, which is, by the way, why so many Jews today continue to have this romantic attachment to socialism. It was actually a rival to Zionism. At the mid to the late 19th century, there was an argument among the Jewish communities, mostly in Europe, about whether or not they should be Zionist and trying to get back to Israel or whether they should establish socialist communities and bring justice to the earth, if you will. It was a real tension. And in fact, one of the things that happened at the Reformation of Israel in the 1940s is you had the kibbutz movement, which is flat socialist. So Jews have always been heavily involved in socialism. In fact, I don't know whether you know who Irving Kristol is. He's the editor of National Review, uh, Jewish intellectual. And socialism seemed to be fading out in the 70s. And he wrote an article there, a quote from it is, for with the passing of the socialist ideal, there is removed from the political horizon the one alternative to capitalism that was rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition and in the Western civilization which emerged from that tradition. So what he's saying is, as socialism seems to be eclipsed, what's happening is Judaism and Christianity are being eclipsed because socialism was the hope of Judaism and Christianity in the modern world. What I'm going to suggest to you, and I'm not even going to suggest it, I'm just going to flat tell you, is socialism is sin. Flat up, no stutter, stammer, or equivocation. Socialism is sin, and I'm going to explain why. Now, one of the things about socialism is it keeps morphing. So as one form of socialism kills, oh, 50 to 100 million people, which it does, well, we're not doing that anymore. We have a new name for it. Nazism, by the way, was a reaction to communism. 
Communism killed millions of Russians. They starved their own people, the Kulaks, and destroyed millions and millions of Soviet Russian citizens. Nazism was the German way to do it better, and they were fiercely anti-communists. But Nazism is socialism. And then Nazism kills 50 million people or so, give or take a few. Who cares when you're talking about millions? And, ooh, we're not Nazis. Nazism is evil. Well, how about Maoism? Maybe the Chinese can do it right. I don't know how many Chinese they killed, but it was in the multi-millions. Well, that didn't work. How about the third way? How about the Green New Deal? And what happens is, as each one of these movements of socialism kills its host, which they all do, and gets discredited, we just get a new name. And all this is marketing. It's like, ooh, people get killed in Chevys, so we're going to buy Fords, because Fords don't kill people. Oh, Fords kill people too. Oh, we're going to buy BMWs because they're really safe. Oh, well, people die in BMWs too. Oh, well, shoot, Mazdas. Mazdas are the thing. So these various names and incarnations for variations on socialism are just marketing. Now, don't get me wrong. A Beamer is somewhat different than a Toyota. I mean, it's got backup cameras. It's got a heads-up display. It's got all sorts of bells and whistles. There are differences. I'm not saying that there aren't differences, but essentially each one of them is a four-wheel box that is designed to move people around. Socialism is a machine that's designed to kill people. doesn't matter whether you call it Maoism, Third Way, Green New Deal, whatever you call it, it's still a machine that is designed to kill people. Just like a car, you can put all the bells and whistles and you can paint it different colors and you can put different chrome on it and you can put electronics in it, you can put radio tires on it, you can do all that kind of stuff, but it's still a four-wheeled box that's designed to move people. Anything else is just marketing. So let's figure out why socialism continues to be so attractive to really smart people, despite the fact that it is designed to kill them. And what I will tell you is it is a counterfeit for Torah. Now, Torah is given to us by God, and Torah is a system that is designed to promote human thriving. God says explicitly in his Torah, if you do these things, if you live this way, if you have a relation to me, then you will thrive. Your women and animals will not miscarry. Your crops will come in. You'll have rain in due season. Good things are going to happen if you live your life according to Torah. What socialism does is it counterfeits Torah, and it looks superficially like Torah, which is why it's so attractive. Let me give you some examples. Generosity. Torah says that you are to be generous, you're to lend, you're to help your brother who is in trouble, you are to give to the poor, all those kinds of things, right? Socialism says we'll distribute the wealth. And we'll make sure that we take care of the poor. We'll make sure that we take care of all these people because we're going to redistribute the wealth and we're going to do all of that stuff that the Torah says you're supposed to do, but we're going to do it for you. So redistribution and generosity are very similar sowing and reaping. God says that as you sow, so shall you reap. It's God's iron law of sowing and reaping. What socialism says is equality of outcome. 
because sowing and reaping results in inequalities. Some people get a really bountiful crop. Some people don't get much of a crop at all, and it's not always their fault. So instead of God's iron law of sowing and reaping, which is what the Torah says, what we're going to do is we're going to guarantee equality of outcome. Liberty, equality, fraternity, from each according to his means, to each according to his need. The rich are not paying their fair share, all of that. So the ideal here of sowing and reaping doesn't work as well as we would like, so what we're going to do is we're going to circumvent that, and we're going to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Free will versus coercion. God says in the Torah, you will be generous. But there isn't any mechanism in the Torah to make you be generous. So some people aren't. And what socialism does is looks at it and says, well, generosity is a good thing. Taking care of people is a good thing. But everybody doesn't do that, so we're going to make them do it. We're going to come in and say, wow, you've got a whole herd of cows, and this guy over here doesn't have any cows. We're going to take some of your herd of cows, and we're going to give them to this guy because you're not being generous with your cows or your money or your whatever. In other words, we are going to make sure that the ideals of Torah are implemented and we're going to make you do it. God doesn't do that. God says, be generous. And oh, by the way, as you sow generously, you will reap generously. God says that money given to the poor is lent to me. I will repay. Socialism says, you're not giving enough to the poor. We're going to come take it. The concepts are the same. The ideas are the same, but the mechanism to accomplish them are radically different. Here's the final one. Justice. God says you will establish justice. Socialism confuses covetousness with justice. What God says is you will treat the poor and the rich the same when they come before the law. And I will give you a scriptural citation for that. It's in Exodus 23. You will treat the poor and the rich the same. You will not favor the poor simply because he's poor, nor will you oppress the poor simply because his adversary is rich. What socialism says is he's rich, and that's not fair. He's got more than I have, and that's not fair. So what you have is a perversion of the language of justice. There's no word for fair in the Bible that I know of. I don't believe that concept exists in the Bible. Justice does. And so what socialism does is it takes covetousness and elevates it to the level of justice. So we have environmental justice. We have social justice. We have all sorts of justices that go with the socialism. And all they are is thinly disguised envy and covetousness. In other words, it's not just that you were born into a family that took care of you and raised you and taught you and, and he didn't. That's not just. It's not just that you have benefited from X, Y, or Z. That's not just. The language is justice, but the underlying emotion is covetousness. And what, by the way, is the Tenth Commandment? Thou shalt not covet. Now, God does not promise equality of outcome. God does not promise fairness. What God promises is sowing and reaping. What God promises is blessing if you have a relationship with me and you do things the way I tell you to do. That's what God promises. Well, that's not good enough. And it goes back to the garden. Let's go look at the garden for a moment. 
Genesis 3, 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows, God knows, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's being said by the serpent there is God is withholding something good from you. There is something that God has that's good, and he's not letting you have it. So the original sin is covetousness. It's wanting something that belongs to someone else. That's what covetous is, and that's the original sin. Now, who is attracted to socialism? Well, the first one is those who are covetous. And so if you get somebody that stands up and says, I will get from whoever and give to you, that really sells. That really sells to humanity. It goes all the way back to the garden. I will get something from someone else and give it to you because it's not fair that they have it and you don't. It's never couched as theft. It's always couched as equality. Always. The second group of people who are attracted to it are the power hungry. There are lots and lots of people who can look at other people and say, no, no, that isn't the way you should be doing it. You should be doing it this way. Very, very, very human emotion. We can all look at somebody else and we can all immediately figure out what that other person is doing wrong. And if they just did it our way, everything would be fine. People like that are really attracted to socialism. They just are. There are people who like to run other people's lives. And then the third group that is attracted to socialism are the naive. And these are people who don't think very deeply, but they hear the language of socialism of fairness, equality, justice, all of these really good sounding words. And oh, by the way, I'm not super rich, so they're not going to come after me. So yeah, it sounds good. That really sounds fair, equitable, so forth. Those people are just naive. They're not really looking for anything for themselves, but they're also not realizing what they're dealing with. Now, socialism is marketing. And one of the things that socialism always needs in order to work is an enemy. You know, the word capitalism was not in the language until about the middle of the 19th century. It used to be called freedom. No, 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 no. Very serious, very serious. You cannot argue against freedom. You cannot demonize freedom. But if you call it capitalism, now we got something that we can speak against. Those capitalists are doing X, Y, or Z, and they're ripping you off. So you can't say, this guy in freedom has gone and started a business, a blacksmith shop, and he's really good blacksmith, and he's shoeing horses and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 this is an evil capitalist. And by the way, that's how the Soviets killed off millions and millions of kulaks. Because they were in rich farming country, and they were wealthy, and they were not interested in this socialism stuff. So the Red Army went in, took all their food, and everything they grew, and finally the kulaks were starved, literally starved to death, and they put other people in there. Because the kulaks were capitalists, you understand. They were just little farmers. But they were successful little farmers. So we'll call them capitalists. And capitalists we can be against. What we can't be against is just three little farmers. It's all marketing. And remember I started off 
And I said, socialism always leads to misery and death because that's what it is designed to do. It is not possible to do it correctly, quote unquote, so it leads to the things that it promises. It is not possible because it was designed by Satan. Satan hates people. Satan hates God. The system that Satan designed and is selling to people is not for your benefit. It is not for the benefit of people. It is designed to do exactly what it does every time it's tried, which is kill people. That's what it's designed for. But it's really attractive to bright people because superficially it looks like it ought to be able to work. There ought to be a way to make this work. If we just get the right people with the best of intentions and we do it our way, there's got to be a way to make this work. And what I'm telling you is, yes, there is a way to make it work because it will kill people because that's what it's designed to do. Works the same way every time. In fact, I've got a friend that I go to breakfast with periodically. What about Scandinavia? They seem to be doing well with socialism. Scandinavia is dying. They are dying slowly as opposed to quickly like they did in Cambodia. The only difference is time. In Cambodia, they went through and they slaughtered millions of people. In Sweden, they just have stopped breeding, and that's what's happened in Northern Europe. So what looks successful, quote-unquote, because you don't have people going through and rounding folks up in big pens and machine-gutting them like they did in China, it looks much more gentle, but they're dying. It's doing what it's designed to do. It always does. So, why is it still attractive? One is, of course, smart people think that they ought to be able to make it work. It appeals to human hubris. Is hubris a sin? Is pride a sin? Yes! So it appeals to the sinful nature of smart people. It also appeals to people who think they're going to get more than they put into it. You know, the ones that think that they're going to take away from the rich and they're going to give me free college education. They're going to give me free this, that, and the other thing. Free medical care, that's the latest one. Is covetousness a sin? Absolutely! So what socialism does is it appeals to human sinfulness. And then finally it appeals to a false sense of justice, which is misplaced compassion. Oh, that poor person is really struggling. I'll take some of your stuff and give it to them, and that'll make me feel better. Anybody notice that happening in our society? Sure. So what I'm saying is, Learn to recognize socialism because the language morphs. It just keeps changing because every time somebody figures out what it is, they simply rebrand it. New coat of paint, you know, new shape on the headlights, new electronics, and boom, there we are again. We got a brand new thing, and it's not Nazism, it's not socialism, it's not communism, it's the Green New Deal. Hope and change. So, Learn to recognize what you're dealing with. What you are dealing with is the hiss of the snake. In every case, you're dealing with the hiss of the snake. And learn to recognize it in all its forms and follow Torah. Because Torah is given to us by God for human thriving. Socialism is given to us by Satan to kill us. It's really that simple. But the marketing is so good and the hype is so good that it's really hard for lots of people to recognize. Learn to hear the snake and learn to reject it. <laughs>